Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus.
context of I'm coming to thee, Father, to worship you. And it says, bless me. We're not asking for blessing of, of money and riches, but his presence is what we're asking for the blessing for. Bless me with your presence. Let's meet together. Let's meet together. Thank you. 
Praise Jesus. Let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you, Heavenly Father. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Father. Praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you, Lord, that you have come to live in us, to make us your temple, your tabernacle. Thank you for choosing us, Lord. Thank you for entrusting us with a major, important end-time work. Thank you for saving our souls. Thank you for giving us eternal life. Thank you for giving us the truth joy, peace. Thank you, Father. Any contentment that we may have obtained, we pray, Lord, that we come to greater contentment. We pray, Lord, that you help us to surrender more spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically to your greatness. Father, We're all flesh, in the flesh, rather. And we still have temptations. We still have some bondage of Babylon and false doctrines and hindrances because of the world that we have lived in. But we ask, Father, for your help to continue to grow in your will not just in commandment and not just in head knowledge, but in your heart, in your will, in your spirit, Father. Please give us more of your presence. Please come into us, Heavenly Father, Savior, Redeemer, Lord. Please, Lord, draw in us even more. Pour yourself into us more and use us, Lord, and help us to overcome and to conquer everything in our lives that we need to conquer. Any legalism, any focusing too much on the letter, any immaturity, any legalism, I say again, Lord, help us, Father, help me. Help us, Lord, with these things. Neither allow us to be too liberal, either. But into the center of your will shall we become. Please realign our hearts, our minds, and our thinking. The center of your will, Heavenly Father. Praise your holy name. Robert, please come up here in front of the pulpit. Stand in front 
Jesus, I anoint you. Heavenly Father, I believe, Lord, that you're leading me and guiding me to anoint my brother. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, in faith. I ask you, Lord, Heavenly Father, according to your will. Whether it be by commandment or by your will, Lord, I know that your will is for Robert to become even more in the center of your will. He has been obedient to you. He has surrendered a lot. He has come a long, long way, such a short time. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just continue, Lord, to help him get even closer to you and into the center of your will in his heart, in his mind, in his heart, in his chest, in his inner being, Lord Father, that you fill him up more, Father, with your Holy Ghost. Straighten out any confusion. Straighten out any confusion, Father. Realign him, Lord, Heavenly Father, to your will, to your mind. Give him your mind, your eyes your ears, your heart, your feelings, Lord, Heavenly Father, your feelings, Lord Jesus. Jesus, man, take your socks off. Anoint your right great toe and your right great thumb. Anoint your right ear. Now center yourself to the pulpit. Name of Jesus. Praise your holy name, Father. Lead him in the right path. Give him spiritual gifts from on high and from within, from the Holy Ghost. Emboldening him in manhood and masculinity. Make him a warrior in the fields in the battlegrounds, in the pastures of your choice, Father. Use him, Lord. Robert, are you willing to go into the field as a warrior for the Lord? Anywhere? Yes, that he sends you. He so sends you. Are you willing to go into any field that he sends? Name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. I pour oil in your head for manhood, responsibility, for clarity, for warriorship. In the name of Jesus for the kingdom, for the army of the Lord. Obey God even more than man. That stay in the administration that God has appointed you to. Do not leave where God has brought you. Keep your middle ground. Stay humble. Continue to learn. Continue to be moldable as you are the pot and he is the potter. Stay in the center of Israel. Do not be moved. Do not be moved, I say. Do not be moved, I say. Do not be moved. Do not be moved. 
Hold still. Wind is going to shake you. Do not be moved. Wind is shaking you already, brother. Do not be moved. Stiffen your arm. I'm going to press against you. Do not allow me to push you. Stiffen. Hold yourself. Go like this. Put your knees down a little bit like this. There you go. Do not allow me to push you over. Resist the temptation. Resist the tempter. Resist the storms. The hard wind, the hurricane, the tornado is going to come against you, brother. Do not be moved. Do not be moved. Be well planted in the Lord. Be well rooted. Do not allow the wind to uproot you, brother. Resist at all costs. Resist, I say, resist. Praise the Lord. Praise his holy name. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Amen. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Raise both your hands to Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for what you have done this day. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. We're ready, Lord. Send the storm. Praise your holy name. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Okay, you may go back to your seat. Keep your socks off. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's turn to the book of 1 Timothy. Timothy 2. Glory to Jesus. Amen. Praise God Almighty. Praise God Almighty. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Thank you, Jesus, for what you are doing. Today, we're going to talk about a word I can't even pronounce. <laughs> hey, Brother Robert, come back up here for a second and read that title for me out loud. Jewelry Acceptable. Now say, is that in front of that? Is Jewelry Acceptable. That's your title, everyone. <laughs> I wish I could speak English. One of these days, oh, praise the Lord. Is it okay to wear rings, earrings, necklaces, ornamental decoration for the body, for the flesh? Is it acceptable? First, 
I'm going to give you verses that people use to say, no, we cannot wear a wedding ring, any ring, necklace, cross necklace, any such thing, earrings, verses that people use for that. That's what I'm going to give you that first. Then I'm going to give you the other side of the story. Because we do need to look at both sides. We need to know for sure what the truth is. And you cannot know what the truth is unless you look at both sides of the debate. Amen. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. We're reading from the Alpha and Omega Bible, restoration of the original scriptures using sources such as the Dead Sea Scrolls and other agent codexes and manuscripts, scrolls, the oldest scrolls that we can find, fragments, and most complete, to, in an attempt to restore the original scriptures. Much progress has been made. We're still working on it. The Alpha and Omega Bible, you're welcome to try to follow alone in other translations, New American Standard, King James, so forth. Try to follow along. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. Likewise, Paul says to Timothy, likewise, I won't or I would that women to garnish, meaning decorate themselves, with orderly attire, humbly and with self-restraint, not with braided hair, and gold or pearls or costly garments. So that verse is used very often to teach that we can't wear any rings, necklaces, earrings, and very often used to say that men can't go shirtless. But I don't see nothing about men here. It talks about women and how women are dressed. I don't understand why people take it out completely out of context. Now, we do see gold and, gold and pearls, underlined pearls, because we're going to come back to pearls later in a different chapter, different verse of the Bible. So remember pearls. Here, Paul seems to say, don't wear, don't wear the gold, the pearls, the costly garments, the stuff like this. Um, So I think we'll probably also come back to this as well. Right first, I just want to explain what verses people use. Then we go to 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. Father, lead me and your people. And now I ask, I need thee every hour. 1 Peter 3, verse 3. 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 3. Another verse used is 1 Peter 3, verse 3, page 247. Verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, 
or putting on clothing. Isaiah, I mean, now let's go and turn to Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Verse 4, talking about Babylon, Revelation 17, verse 4. The woman was clothed, Babylon was clothed in purple and scarlet and adored with gold and precious stones. And there's pearls again, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. So those verses, those three examples. And then I'll give you one more example before we go to the other side of the story. Let's go to the book of Prophets, Isaiah 3, Isaiah chapter 3. Book of Prophets, volume 4, Isaiah 3, starting in verse 16, 16 through verse 24. For your notes, Isaiah 3, verse 16 through 24. Isaiah 3 verse 16 Thus say of Jesus He is the Lord There is only one Lord One faith One baptism One spirit One God One Lord Jesus Thus say of Jesus Because The daughters of Zion Are naughty Daughters of Zion Would be The descendants of Jerusalem, the descendants of the Holy Land, the descendants of Israel, even though they are God's people, they are naughty and have walked with, or haughty, proudful, they have walked with an outstretched neck, proudful, and with the winking of the eyes. You think people winking with the eyes, as in trickery, it can be, in motion of the feet. And at the same time, drawing their garments and trains, you think of a bride has a train, the back robe, the back of the bridal dress, the long, it's called a train, called a train, the very back long fabric that hangs from the, the back of the bride's uh, garments. Same time, drawing their garments and trains, and at the same time, sporting with their feet. So basically, it's a picture of a woman that is trying to entice the male, uh, playing with her dress, winking at him, uh, motions of her feet, the dancing, the garments, different things to sport. Sporting is like playing with the man, verse 17. Therefore, Jesus will humble the chief, the first ruling daughters of Zion, and Jesus will expose their form in that day. And the Lord would take away the glory of their raiment, the curls, and the fringes, and the crescents. Talking about different shapes of earrings, basically earrings, not really like a crescent moon of worship, but rather an earring. And the chains and the ornaments of their faces, and the array of glorious ornaments, and the armlets, bracelets, 
and armlets and bracelets. So armlet would be like an arm band higher up on the arm of gold, silver, and the bracelets and the wreathed work and their finger rings and ornaments for the right hand. So he says, um, I'm going to take away these things. In verse 18, I'll take away these things. So we come to that, even the rings uh, in verse 20, and then verse 23, the earrings, the garments, the scarlet borders of their dresses, so forth, and the garments with purple, and the shawls, the worn in the house, those things she's going to take away, and the Spartan transparent dresses, and those made of fine linen. Uh, and the purple ones and the scarlet ones and the fine linen and the interwoven with gold and purple and the light coverings for couches, uh, beds and so forth and the chairs that they would recline in for supper or any other occasion. And there will be, instead of a sweet smell, dust. I'm going to take away all the fine things of life and bring in dust. And instead of a girdle, you should gird yourself with a rope. And instead of a golden ornament for the head, you shall have baldness on account of your works, your evil works. And instead of an inner garment of purple, you should gird yourself with sackcloth. So people use this to say, God's going to take these things away from us. They must be evil. This is the way people think. So those verses, I just gave you a total of four references in the scriptures that people use to say we're not supposed to wear gold, jewelry, rings, earrings, so forth. The problem with this is every one of these verses, they are taking it out of context. Amen. The context of the latest one that we read in Isaiah is that people are proudful and the women are using these things, some of them, many of them, many, many of them. I'm not saying every woman is guilty, but it's very clear in Scripture and in reality of what I've seen in life that there are a large number of women and men using these things, the ornaments of the flesh, in pride or enticement. And it's not always wrong as an enticement but it can be used wrong in enticement. And these things will be taken away and replaced with sadness, with dust, with sackcloth, to bring this woman down, to bring America down, to bring his own people, to chastise his people, to discipline his people, to help them against pride. This is the context. There's nothing about this context that says or hints at their sin being the actual clothing is how they're using the clothing, the gold and silver and so forth. It's how they're using it, what they're using it for, and their, their other words. Amen. That's the context. And so we're going to come back to the other verses and look at their context in a few minutes. But now let me give you some other verses that the people who say that we are forbidden to wear any of this never will point you to. They'll never point you to these verses. Let's look at those first before we look at the other contexts. Let's go to Genesis 24 in the book of the law, volume 1. Genesis 24. 
Genesis 24, verses 1 through 4. Genesis 24, verse 1. Twenty-four, verse one, and Abraham was old, advanced in years. He was old, man. And the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. Praise Jesus. He blessed him in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, his slave, the elder of his house, who had rule over all his possessions, put your hand under my thigh. That was how the culture was at that time to make a vow or promise, put your hand under my thigh, and I will adjourn you by the Lord, meaning almost the same as swear by the Lord. I'm going to hold you to this promise in the name of the Almighty. I'm holding you to this promise. The theos of heaven and the theos of the earth, that you take not a woman for my son Isaac from the daughters of the Canaanites with whom I dwell in the midst of them. But you would go instead to my country, Syria, my country, basically Syria, where I was born, and my tribe, and you would take from there a woman for my son, Isaac. So he tells his servant, promise me, make this covenant, make this vow to me and to God in heaven, of heaven and earth, that you go and get a woman for my son, Isaac, but not from the Canaanites, but rather from Syria, where Abraham had come from. Now, I don't say Syria in the manuscript, but we know it's Syria looking at other verses of the Bible. So there's a footnote of Syria there, and you find in the footnote in the Alpha Omega Bible the scriptures for it. In the footnote, which is a huge, huge, huge footnote, we won't read all that right now, but it's in the footnote in the Alpha Omega Bible giving you the scriptures. It's also found in one of the confirmations that the president of Syria is the son of perdition, the one that they call the Antichrist. Is one of the confirmations you can find in that article at isawthelightministries.com. Look up the article, Assad is the Antichrist, Proof Assad is the Antichrist. It's one of the 51 proofs in that article, and that will give you the verses that Abraham and... Uh, a lot of the tribes of Israel uh, were partly Syrian. So then, let's skip down to verse 15. Verse 15. And if you read this whole chapter right here, it's very clear as well that they were Syrians, as well as part Jew or part Israelite, rather, part Israelite, part Syrian. Very clear as you keep reading this whole chapter, but we're just going to, Look at the verses relevant for today's purpose. Verse 15, and it came to pass before he had done speaking in his mind that behold, Rebecca, this was um, the servant going out to look for Isaac's future wife, that Rebecca, the daughter of uh, Baphia, the son of Nelka, the woman of Narkar, and the same, the brother Abraham, came forth having a water pot on her shoulders. Rebecca had a water pot on her shoulders. And she was a virgin. And the virgin was very beautiful in appearance. And she was a virgin. A man had not 
known her sexually, and she went down to the well and filled her water pot and came up. So the servant meets Rebecca, and then in verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took, the servant took a gold ring, weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist, weighing ten shekels in gold. Footnote in verse 22 says, in ancient times, a nose ring was a sign that a woman was married or engaged, taken, spoken for. See verse 47, and commentary by Robert Jamison says, quote, the ring was not for the ear, but the nose, this ring. The armlets, such as a young woman in Syria and Arabia, still appear daily at wells decked in. To this very day, women in Syria and Arabia still appear at the wells wearing their uh, armlets. They are worn from the elbow to the wrist, very long armlets from the elbow to the wrist, commonly made of silver, copper, brass, or horn. So this was a nose ring, and when it says gold ring in verse 22, gold ring is talking about a nose ring, and then bracelets and armlets, so forth, of gold. My servant gives this to uh, Rebecca. Let's go down to verse 47. We'll see this. Verse 47. And the way I've got verse 47 is in the midst of uh, a giant big paragraph here in order to save paper, in order to save pages, make this a cheaper way of uh, distribution to people. So you find verse 47 in the midst of that, and it actually has two numbers there, 2447, to help you find it. 2447, then I asked her and said, uh, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethia, Nahor's son, whom Melchah bore to him, and I put the ring on her nose. So you see there, it was a nose ring. I put it on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And then, we began to go down to verse 53. 53, and the servant, having brought forth jewels of silver and gold and remnant, gave them to Rebekah and gave gifts to her brother and to her mom. So we see here what it was, was the servant was claiming Rebekah for Isaac by saying, we are entering into covenant with you that you're going to be Isaac's wife. These, when other men see this on your body, are going to know that you're taking it, that you have been claimed as a wife, that you cannot be harmed by any other gentleman, that they cannot try to date you, they cannot try to flirt with you. You are spoken for by putting this on her. Many times in agent culture, that was the symbolism of rings, necklaces, bracelets, so forth. That was the symbolism many, many, many times in different cultures, including Syrian, Arabian, and Israelite cultures. Now, it can also mean a branding of ownership either to a man or to a god. It can mean that. 
many people that try to claim that we cannot wear any of this, they say that the origin is pagan and that it started with being a branding toward false gods. Well, the reason they claim that is they find examples where pagan societies, including Syria and Arabia, where they did such things. However, if you look at Scripture and other historical documents and historical evidence, it was not limited to the pagans. Notice here that the servant of Abraham, which would have been a man obedient to the commandments of the household, not going out to find a wicked woman for Isaac, but the appropriate woman, the right woman, the appointed woman. And, and it was even told, we skipped those verses, but you can read it later. It was even told the servant how to find that woman, that there would be a sign, that there would be a miracle. So this woman, Rebecca, was not chosen only for her beauty and not only for her descendancy of who her dad was and who the family was, even though all that played a part. But primarily, more than anything else, she was God-chosen and ordained and confirmed by divine providence, divine miracle. This was the woman appointed for Isaac's wife. Now, she was Syrian, but she was God-appointed. Now, notice how the servant, and even if you were to keep reading, Neither did the servant, neither did Abraham, neither did Isaac, neither did, neither did God ever say to her, remove these things. Amen. But rather, it was given her. It was given her saying, you are going to be the wife of this man of God. If it was wrong, if it was pagan, they would not have given it to her or it would have been removed later. Amen. This is a prime example of not everything the pagans do is wrong. Pagans, pagan men put on their pants one leg at a time. I think I put my pants on one leg at a time too, and that's okay when I wear pants. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. I wear pants every day or shorts one. But just want to kid your leg, pull your leg a little bit. So not everything the Catholic Church does, even though they're wicked, even though they have much, much, much wrong, not everything that they say, not everything that they do is wicked. You can find something right and something wrong in every society, every religion, every denomination, even the worst of them. You can find something right. That's just life. That's the reality of things. I do not believe that the origin, the beginning of this, was the pagans. Unless, yeah, a pagan can come up with a good ideal. And that would not make it wrong, even if a pagan had come up with a, a good ideal. Amen. 
So then let's look at other examples. Let's go to Exodus 3. Exodus chapter 3. And let's not go by just one verse. Let's see if there's other examples. Let's make for sure of this. Exodus 3, verse 21. Exodus 3, verse 21. <clears throat> this is God speaking. Jesus says, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Talking about Israelite, giving the Israelites favor in the sight of the Egyptians at Passover time when they're crossing the Red Sea, about to cross the Red Sea, about to be delivered. This is actually before any of, any of the ten plagues. This is only chapter 3 of Exodus. So this is God prophesying that this is going to happen, that he is going to free the Israelites and that he is going to give favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And whenever you shall escape, you shall not depart empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor and fellow lodger articles of gold and silver. This is God. This is Jesus saying, you're going to do this. You're supposed to do this. You need to do this. You're going to do this. And not wickedly. But this is what you need to do, really. Articles of gold and silver and apparel, and you shall put them on. You shall put them on. Not forbidden to do it, but you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters and spoil you, the Egyptians. Amen. Spoil, in this context, means to take materials away from your enemy. That is a term of war, of taking things away from your enemy. This is an instruction of God. And it's not just take uh, only the clothing, but also the gold and the silver and their apparel. Now, God knew that it was going to melt down a lot of the gold for a golden calf. He knew it. He saw the end from the beginning. Don't think he's, you know, come on now. He knows. He knows. He knows. He's God. He knows our thoughts before we even speak it. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He saw the end from the beginning, the scripture says. But he knew what they was going to do with this. But he still said, you need to do this. And I don't think he would say, do this, if it was pagan to have the gold and the silver. Now, and it's in the context of apparel, as well. Now let's look at chapter 35, Exodus 35. What was wrong is when they melted it down. It wasn't wrong to have it at the start. Exodus 35, verse 20, 20 through 23. For your notes, 20 through 23. Exodus 35, verse 20, And all the congregation of the children of Jezreel went out from Moses, and they brought they whose heart prompted them, and they to whomsoever it seemed good in their mind, each an offering. And they brought an offering to Jesus for all the sanctuary, for all the works of the tabernacle of witness, and all its services, and for all the robes of the sanctuary. And the men, even every woman, to whom it seemed good in his heart brought from the women, even brought seals and earrings 
and finger rings and necklaces and bracelets, every article of gold, and all as many as brought ornaments of gold to Jesus, and with whomsoever fine linen was found, and they brought skins dyed, animal skins dyed blue, and ram skins dyed red. And everyone that offered the offering brought silver and brass, the offerings to Jesus. And they with whom was found incorruptible wood, and they brought, meaning good, hard wood, and they brought offerings for all the works of preparation. So go, go through verse 24 on your notes there. Now, this was offerings to Jesus, not offerings to a pagan god. It included the jury. Now, this was for the temple. And perhaps some of this might have been melted down to make other things for the temple, but it don't matter how it was used as long as it was used for the glory of God. And we know that God is a jealous God. It says so, and he is. Amen. He would not allow, he would not, uh-uh, no way would he allow people to bring pagan things into the temple. He would not allow it, would he? That would be a curse. They would fall dead if they were to bring something defiled, something pagan, something wrong, into the temple to offer to him. That would be offering strange fire. Amen. Don't do that. If these necklaces, rings, earrings, finger rings, if these were pagan, if they had a pagan origin, if they were forbidden, then God would have struck these people dead. But he did not. And this was okay. This was acceptable. They were embraced by the priests, by God's servants, by God himself. There's nothing evil in the context here if you used to read the whole thing. <clears throat> Let's look at Ezekiel 16 in the book of Prophets. Ezekiel 16. Now, the scripture I'm about to read is a scripture you would never hear in most of Babylon, like most of the scriptures we read every week. You're never going to hear in Babylon because they don't want you to get the whole account. Amen. And so some of you are, some of you are going to get blown away here. Some of you are going to get blown away. I'm just telling you, I'm just warning you, fasten your seatbelt. What Scripture says, Scripture says. I can't help what it says. Amen. Ezekiel 16, we're going to go verse 1 through 15. 1 through 15. Ezekiel 16, verse 1. Moreover, the word of Jesus came to me, saying, Son of humankind, son of humankind, testify to Jerusalem of her iniquities, her sins, her breaking the law. Testify to Jerusalem of her iniquities. So it's going to use Jerusalem here in the symbolism of a woman, which it does pretty often throughout Scripture. Zion, Jerusalem, Israel, many times used in the symbolism of a woman. And you should say, Thus saith Jesus to Jerusalem, 
Your roots and your birth are of the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Chetite. Footnote says, the builders, the founders of Jerusalem, previously named Jabus, something like that. But Jerusalem, the town, the city, the buildings in Jerusalem, the town was not always called Jerusalem. Before it was called Jerusalem, it was called Shabbos or Shabbos or something like that. And who built that was the Amorites and the Chetites. Verse 4, and as for your birth in the day wherein you were born, you did not cut your, they did not cut your umbilical cord, and you were not washed in water, neither was you salt it with salt. Neither were you swathed in, in swaddling cloths. Nor did my eye pity you to do for you one of all these things, to fill it all for you, but you were cast out on the face of the field because of the perversity of your person in the day wherein you was born. And thereafter, though, I passed by to you and saw you polluted in your blood. And I said to you, life out of your blood, multiply. So basically, he looked at the inhabitants of Jerusalem who were, had a heathen descendancy. And he said to these people who were not a people and a people who were not a nation, he says to them, live. Come out of death. Find life. Be my people. Be my children. Be my bride. I've chosen you. Even as Isaac was given the Syrian woman, Rebecca, I've chosen you. Be part of my tribe, part of my nation. Now, in the symbolism of a woman, he looks at Jerusalem as a woman on her period, rooted in her blood. And I said to you during her period, life out of your blood, multiply, increase, give birth. And I made you, verse 7, out, made you as the springing, grass of the field. So you did increase and grow and did enter into great cities. Your breasts were set up, were firm, were, and was young and mature. The, the, the young woman on her first period had grown breasts for age of puberty. And your hair, your pubic hair grew, whereas that you was naked and bare and I passed by you and saw you, and behold, it was your time and a time of lodging. I spread my wings over you and covered your shame and swear to you, and I entered into covenant, into a marriage covenant with you, say of Jesus, and you became mine. Amen. Now, I spread my wings over you. What uh, account was that, Brittany, that the woman laid at his feet? Ruth. And Boaz. That she was told 
by her master woman to lay at Boaz's feet and that he would wake up and ask him to spread his robe, whatever, over her. So that was entering into a marriage covenant saying that just like putting the hand under the thigh, they had these physical uh, ceremonial symbolism covenants that they would enter into, spread my wings over you, or saying, I'm going to take you in my bed and spread the blanket and spread my clothing over you, and we'll be under the sheets together, basically, is what he's saying. This is the symbolism of that. And this is God using symbolism of him being a man and Jerusalem being a woman. And she has just reached puberty, perhaps 12 years old, 11, 12, 13, whatever, of the age of her puberty. And they are getting married. I know that my grandmother and many other people's grandmothers married when they was extremely young. Throughout history, throughout history, in every culture on earth that as soon as a woman hit puberty, she was the age of consent. That's been human reality since Adam and Eve. It's only been since something like, I have to look it up again, I think 1907, 1917, something like that, that Legalistic religious Pharisees said that a woman has to be a certain age, even if she was consenting, even if she fell in love, even if, regardless of the situation, she had to be a certain age. That is a new invention of mankind, new invention of the Catholic Church or whoever it was in the early uh, 1900s that invented, started inventing these new laws that were new to humanity. And probably even before that in England, but in America, not until the 1900s. But scripture has more power, more authority. And you can think whatever you want to think in your opinion, but you really don't have a right to opinion. It's either God's way or no way, really, truly. And the longer I live, the more I come to realize and comprehend modern Western society, how legalistic it is and corrupt it is. Uh, God founded America, but he did not found this legalism that has uh, captured uh, modern Western society. Now, there's a difference, and there are exceptions. There is a difference between molesting and consenting and willing. I do not advocate in any way, any shape, any form, Child molestation, uh, rape, 
uh, incest, di- different things like that that are obviously very clearly wrong and evil. But when two people are consenting, it is a difference. And I see many examples in modern Western society where a 17-year-old young man goes to prison for having sex with his girlfriend that's only one month younger than he is, and she is 16 and he's 17, according to what state you live in, and he goes to jail, whereas another man of the same age in a different state don't go to jail. That's insanity. That's crazy. Or even two 16-year-olds, and he goes to jail. Same age. They could be born on the same birthday, and he'll still go to jail. And they're both consenting, but he'll still go to jail. That is insanity. Then also think of the age difference between my grandmother and her first husband. Probably 20 years difference or more, maybe 30 years difference. And that was not unusual at all. When my grandmother was growing up, that was not that that was the standard back then. And in the Bible times, that was the standard. In the Bible times, that was the standard. A 30, 40, 50, 100-year-old man marrying a virgin of 12, 13, 10 years old, as long as she had reached puberty. And as long as it was agreed upon about uh, among all the parents and among all the people involved in it. The modern Western society has embraced many different new cultures that were invented, not by God. And you can say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, but standard of right and wrong is determined by God in Scripture, not by your culture, your mind programming, your, mind, your mental state of what you believe does not determine right and wrong. That's your opinion. Scripture, God, God's Word, determines right and wrong, not how you was raised to believe. There's no difference between this doctrine and the doctrine of whether we need to keep the Sabbath day or not. It is not by your opinion, not by what your parents taught you, not what by the government says, government of man says, but rather what do the scriptures say and teach in that? God looked upon this woman, saw that she was of age by her blood by her puberty, by her first period, that she became marriage age by her puberty. This is God. God is not a molester. God is not involved in telephidia. Is that how you pronounce it? Telephidia, whatever it is. God is not involved in such a thing. God is not evil. God is not sinful. God is not a molester. And people don't even understand that word. I can't pronounce it, but people that can pronounce it don't understand what it means because pedophilia is really the attraction or sexual involvement with people who are not yet reached puberty. By definition, by legal definition, 
even in modern Western society, the legal definition and the true definition of pedophilia, however you pronounce it, is sexual activity or attraction before before puberty. And that is important. But that's the actual sex act. I believe we could even find examples in history and in scripture that there at least entered into a agreement even before then, but not actual sex activity, but agreement through families, through parents, that this is going to be your life, even at a much younger age that they were spoken for, maybe even go ahead and put the jury on them to say that they are spoken for. Now it says here in verse 9, and I washed you in water and washed your blood from you and anointed you with oil, and I clothed you with embroidered garments and clothed you beneath with purple. So here we saw previously to take away the fine colors, purple is an expensive color. If you had, back in that day and time, if you had anything that was purple or had purple dye in it at all, it would be much more expensive. So anytime you see purple in Scripture, it's talking about expensive clothing. I clothed you beneath, gave you purple underwear or a purple undergarment and girded you with a fine linen and clothed you with silk and adored you also. God did. Israel gave his woman, gave his bride ornaments and put bracelets on your hands and a necklace on your neck and I, I, I put a pendant on your nose, a nose ring. What? God likes nose rings? Wow. God likes, Jesus likes a woman with a nose ring. Now here in modern Western society, we frown upon that very much. We stare at people and are like, is that comfortable? <laughs> you know? And we look at people and be like, wow, she, is, she must be married to a demon. But no, we need to be more careful about judging people and condemning people. This can be a sign that she is married to God, perhaps. Now, most of them we see out there on the streets, no. No, they're not married to God. We know that. There are other signs on their bodies, their tattoos, that let us know that they're actually branded in marriage to the devil. So they're doing it for the wrong reason. They're doing it out of rebellion. They're doing it to look cool because all their friends are doing it. So we can see in life how people are misusing guns, knives, puberty, sex, children. But it doesn't mean it's doesn't mean it's wrong always, but things are being abused. Things are being misused. Amen. But yes, Jesus gave a nose ring to his wife and rings in your ears and a crown of glory on your head. And so you was adored with gold and silver and your remnant of was of fine linen and silk and embroidered work. All the things that God said I'm going to take away from you, 
was given to her by him. All the things he said I would take away, he gave. And you did eat fine flour and oil and honey and did become extremely beautiful. And your name went forth among the nations for your beauty because it was perfected with elegance. And in your comeliness, which I put upon you, said Jesus. But here's the but part, even though I don't see the word but. This is the but. This is the but part. You trusted in your beauty and went whoring because of your fame and poured out your fornication on every passerby. So we see that it was okay to wear this, but it became something that she misused and she allowed her beauty and her fame to corrupt her, even as the devil himself came corrupted by his own beauty. Vanity and pride creeped in. So we do have to be careful. If and when we wear such things, we have to be careful. And this is why we continue through all the holy days to examine ourselves at Passover, before Passover, and unleavened bread, and atonement in the fall of the year. We examine ourselves to see if any new vanity of a, a, a seed of vanity has creeped in because of our nudity or because of our clothing or because of money or fame or anything, job, houses, girlfriends, boyfriends, friends, if anything has creeped in before it gets out of control, before it gets too powerful in us, you've got to stop things before they get too powerful, before, it, before they take control of you. Amen. Very important to carefully examine yourself before Passover and before baptism. To not examine yourself before baptism is lunacy. You have to know. Jesus said, what man doesn't sit down first to count the cost, to see if you have enough to finish the job, to see if you're going to go the whole way. You have to examine yourself before baptism, before Passover again, and before atonement again. Amen. Now, let's go to the New Testament, Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. And really, really, Every man, ideally, what God's true will is for every man is to marry a virgin, right? Not some woman that has already been married two, three, four, five hundred times, but a virgin, ideally, that's the way it's supposed to be. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 6, Do not give what is holy to dogs, to lost people, to people who are unworthy of what is holy. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls. That's why I wanted you to underline pearls earlier. 
which we saw in at least two verses or more, maybe three or more. Do not throw your pearls before swine. We know that pearls were actually expensive if they're real. Do not throw your pearls, your fancy, your expensive jewelry to the pigs. Just like last week or recently, sometime recently, I have not much of a time clock in my head, but sometime recently, we talked about the wine skins, put new wine into new skins, baptism of your clothes. And God was concerned, Jesus was concerned about preserving the wine, not letting it go to waste. And he's also concerned about preserving the pearls. Do not waste your pearls. Do not throw them to the pigs. And or they will trample them under the foot and feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So he's saying be careful who you witness to because some of them are demon possessed and they will attack you and tear you to pieces. And some people are not worthy. Even the book of Revelation says there won't be dogs in the kingdom. There are some people who are not worthy. There are beasts. I have met beasts of people, brute beasts, unreasoning, unreasonable people. It doesn't matter how much scripture you give them. It doesn't matter how much you pray for them. It doesn't matter how much you fast for them. It doesn't matter how gentle you are with them, how loving you are with them, how caring, how compassionate. You can be forbearing. You can be long-suffering. You can pray. You can weep. You can fast. You can starve yourself to death and go to the grave fasting for them. It's all in vain. There are some people more than you realize who are going to be put into the lake of fire because they are unworthy. Now, every person will be given a chance to accept the truth. Every person, every beast of humanity will be given a chance by God. But it doesn't always have to come from you and me. There are Bibles in many different stores, many different websites, free Bibles that they can obtain. There's a Bible in almost every motel room in America. There are ways that the laws, even the dogs, can come to the truth if they would just seek, if they would just want the truth, if they would just desire light. They don't want light. They enjoy the darkness. But do not cast your expensive jewelry to pigs. God is concerned. He wants you to keep these things for yourself. It's okay. I remember whenever it was, 2007, whatever, when God took me all the way to Greenville, South Carolina, of a preacher who dressed like Elvis Presley, who had all kinds of gold and diamond rings on his fingers, for God to heal me at that man's crusade. God could have healed me at home without me traveling to another state. But he took me there to teach me 
do not judge this man. He is my servant. And he's even in Babylon. He's even a Sunday preacher. But God sent me to him, to his crusade, for God to heal my arm and for God to deliver me of cigarettes, of my addiction to cigarettes. And I smoked extremely heavy at the time. I will judge Babylon, and I will judge many, many, many Babylonian wolves in sheep's clothing. I will. But not based upon gold and silver and rings. Not based upon that. I will judge a preacher many times for his doctrines, how he how he deceives people. But out of the two or three sermons that I attended attended of this particular preacher that I visited in South Carolina years ago, out of the two or three sermons I heard in person, and out of several on TV that I heard, it was all true, and it was all correct. So I cannot judge him by false doctrine, except for that he does go to church on Sunday. So you can find right and wrong in everybody and in every group. But he is God's servant, and I do believe that he will leave Babylon, come out of her, my people. He does have his people that are there yet. And I have no doubt, I have no worry that he is going to leave Babylon. Amen? If he would never leave Babylon, I don't think God would have sent me to him. But I needed to learn a lesson to not judge people by their go jury. Alone. That alone. Amen. Now, Luke 15, Luke chapter 15. And this is Luke 15, the entire chapter is the, uh, the account of the prodigal son. Prodigal son. And I think I'm just going to start right here at the beginning. Let's read the whole chapter and for your notes, put uh, all 32 verses, verses 1 through 15 verse 1. Now, all the tax collectors, oh my God, the evil tax collectors, and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Amen. Praise the Lord. And both the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, quote, What man among you? If he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture 
and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Amen. Everybody would do that. If you own 100 sheep, one got lost, you'd go after it. So he would leave the gathering of the church sometime, the disciples, and go out to the lost, find the lost. Amen. Verse 5. And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I'll tell you that in the same way, there would be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance if they had already obtained, if they was already truly righteous. Because each time, every time that a lost person gets saved, there is rejoicing in heaven. There's a verse for that somewhere that says that every time somebody gets saved, the angels sing or the angels rejoice or something like that. Verse 8, for what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I have lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the present. There it is. There it is. That's the verse. I didn't even know it was in this chapter. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Father, your face is so beautiful. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of Theos over one sinner who repents. One said, that was you. That was me. When we repented, the angels rejoiced. The angels had joy when they saw us get saved. Amen. The angels are watching us. Not lost relatives in heaven. No, there's no lost relatives in heaven. Come on now. The angels are watching us. Amen. Verse 11, and he said, A man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his dad, Dad, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living, liberal living. And now, Robert, if you can write down, let me check out that word loose to see if I could possibly Translated as liberal or not. Verse 14, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, meaning got employed uh, by one of the citizens of that country. So he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, 
how many of my dad's hired men have more than enough bread that I am dying here with hunger? I would get up and go to my dad and I would say to him, Dad, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his dad. But while he was still a long way off, his dad saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, change that to dad, Roger. Dad, I am sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the dad said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and cut it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. This is symbolism for the father embracing us back once we have backslid or gotten lost for the first time either one. Of course, we were all born lost, but if somebody is lost and they come to the father, he puts a ring on our family. Amen. Verse 23, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your dad has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, was not willing to go in. And his dad came out and pleaded with him. But he answered and said to his dad, look, for many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a, a young goat so that I might even a goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, the other son came, who has devoured your wealth for prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has come to life and was lost, and has been found. Amen. We know that he put the ring on the man's hand, on his son's hand, to embrace him back into the family. But because of his repentance, he came back to the Lord. This is the account of the prodigal son. So we do see the example of the father. Marine on us. I think of the marriage supper, a bride adored for her husband. What bride would not put on pearl necklace for marriage in our culture? Not everything about our culture is wrong, corrupted, wicked. Not everything. There are some traditions that are acceptable. 
Amen. Not all tradition is wrong. Let's go back and look at the context in 1 Timothy 2 that I said we would come back to. Since it is very, very, very often twisted and abused out of context. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. Let me get another translation. I'll be right back. You can help me remember every week to bring in the New American Standard in here too. Love, have it. I appreciate it. Help me remember. Put it over here on top of the writings where the New American Standard would go. 1 Timothy 2. Verse 9. I'm going to read this first out of the New American Standard. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. New American Standard says, Likewise, I want women to adore themselves with proper clothing, modestly, modestly, and discreetly, not with braided hair and golden pearls or costly garments. So the word modest, modest is found there in King James. I think it might just be modest. So this is where people like, well, a man can't go shirtless and all that because we've got to be modest. But the context of what modest means in this context is do not wear expensive clothing for the purpose of pride, a proudful display to the church or other people. That's the context of these verses. Go back up to verse 8. Likewise, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and distinction, without um, arguing and divisions. Likewise, I want women to garnish themselves with orderly attire, humbly, and self-restraint, not with braided hair, gold pearls, or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women, make it a claim making a claim to godliness. You have to dissect all those different words. In context, it's not talking about how much skin a man or a woman is displaying on their body. How many buttons on the shirt is buttoned up or down, whether a man is shirtless or not. Those type of things is totally outside the context, and this has nothing to do with skin. This has to do with women who were coming into the worship services in that day and in that time who were dressing fancy to appear proudful, to appear a form of godliness. That was their heart. That was the intent. It's sort of the same as the Pharisees would, would pray on the street corner for the express purpose of being heard, that people would see and hear them pray on the street corner out of pride. It was a display of vanity. 
many women to this very day have a display of vanity with their cosmetics, with their jewelry, with their clothing, men too. That is the problem. That is the concept. Can a woman have braided hair? Absolutely. Can a woman have gold? Pearls? Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't go with the letter of the law, but rather with the spirit of the law. What Paul was trying to get across. Let's look at 1 Peter 3, verse 3, which is very similar. Extremely similar, 1 Peter 3, verse 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 3. Your adornment must not be merely extra, braided in the hair, wearing the gold jewelry, or platinum clothing. So does this verse mean that we can never, ever, ever wear clothing in church or never wear clothing at all? If we really think that this is prohibiting braided hair or gold jewelry, then we must also think that we can never wear clothes, even in the winter, even at church service, we can never wear clothes. If we're going to be legalistic, if we're going to take words out of context, then we must also take on the phrase about clothing as well. We can wear clothing. Now, you know I'm a naturalist. I believe in nudity. God believes in nudity. We were born naked. Most of us would die naked. We will be resurrected naked. Some of us, some of us were baptized naked. Should be baptized naked. The body is not sin. It is the temple of God. It is holy. Your nudity is holy unto the Lord. The Bible even says he sees every one of us naked. So, I believe in nudity. But I also believe in needing clothing for the wintertime. I also believe in needing clothing to protection, protection from the sun, protection from the elements, protection from the rain, the snow, and the sleet, and being careful about obeying the law of man, not getting in trouble, not going to jail in vain without real purpose, and dressing for the occasion, dressing for the restaurant, dressing for services to come into the presence of the king. I believe in each individual case, example, where you are in the situation, dress appropriately on the beach, wearing your swimsuit, both men and women, and allow the women to show their boobs on the beach. And at the swimming pool, it's okay. It's not wrong. That is the place. That is the appropriate place for water and sunshine for both men and women to sunbathe and enjoy the water and be free from the legalism of religious people. Amen.
But we see the context in this is that we need to be careful about the intent of the heart of our clothing. We do need to be careful about the intent of the heart of the clothing. If we are wearing a ring to show that we are married or, or engaged, that's fully acceptable. Or to wear a cross necklace to remind ourselves and to let others know, I'm a servant of the Lord, but not out of pride to show that, but out of a witnessing tool that there is people who believe in Jesus Christ and his crucifixion and his death and resurrection. I am a Christian. Publicly display that, not out of pride, but out of witnessing and out of a reminder to yourself. It's okay to have a cross neck. And if you just wanted a ring or necklace for beauty, I have given necklaces and bracelets to my wife. They were from the Dollar Tree store, but (laughs) they were from Dollar Tree store, but the idea would be the same that I gave my wife something pretty. I wanted her to be decorated. I, I was like, I'm still trying to get her to wear these boas, <laughs> these pink feathers. I'm still trying to get her to wear those. I like to decorate my wife. Amen. So I think a lot of guys like to decorate their wives. And so did Abraham like to decorate his wife. We are, men are not allowed to decorate ourselves. So we might as well decorate our wives. Amen. God is good. Amen. I hope that all of you understand everything that I have said and weigh it with the totality of Scripture. The sum of his word is truth. Each man and woman who examine yourselves, your weaknesses, your faults, pride, vanity, legalism, all these matters, accuracy of Scripture, accuracy of God's will. One of the worst things that people deal with is being over-condemning, over-judgmental, and legalistic. There was a time that I did think that these things were prohibited because I read websites of men. But once I got into Scripture more a few years ago of reading about this particular topic, studying it out for myself, what does Scripture really say, looking at both sides, I allowed Scripture and God's leading to change my mind on it. And as I have said many, many times, and I will keep saying over and over, 
until it's ingrained in your hearts and minds and souls that the word of God is a living word that should be changing us on a yearly basis throughout the year. And if we have grown more than a year, thank you, Father. But the Holy Ghost brings back all things to remembrance, the scripture says. So if we have gone more than a year without allowing him to change what we think about something, how we believe, what our so-called opinion is, what our opinion, our way of thinking, what we believe about something. If we have not changed our opinion or our thinking or doctrine or belief about anything concerning the word of God and what's right and what's wrong in a year, then we're not growing. We are, are, we are stunted. Our growth is stunted. and We are lukewarm and we're not growing. We have to grow and continue to grow and continue to grow and continue to come into the fullness of the, the center of God's will, the center of his will. If we are married to God or, in mar- or engaged to go to that marriage wedding, what would be wrong about wearing a ring designated to him? What would be wrong with that? Wearing a ring designated to that particular marriage. So, AJ, Nikki, Robert, Brittany, and myself, when we took Passover communion, we took communion with the Lord, our husband, and we also took communion with one another. And we are one body, one bride. We are married among each other, to each other in Christ. We are one family, one baptism, one spirit together. Each toe, each finger, each member individually making up this one bride. And we are all married together. And we are all, each and every one of us, a bride unto the Lord, as the Lord is a, a pomegamous. I already pronounce that. Pomegamous. Every time I say it, I get worse. He believes in pomegamous. Matthew 25, the ten virgins. Ten virgins. Ten virgins. Not one, not two, not three. Not old maids, but virgins. Ten of them. Jesus, marrying or engaged to marry. Ten. Five of them fall away, but five of them he does marry. Jesus, marrying five women. And if it was wrong to have more than one wife, Jesus would not use Matthew 25, the parable, of the the five foolish and the five wise virgins, if he was against 
an older man, Marion, more than one virgin, then he would not have used that analogy for his own self, a man without sin, God even. He would not use that. Think about these verses when you read them. Don't just read and not think. Read slowly and think about what you're reading. This is not my teaching. This is not me making up doctrine. This is not me, my opinion, or my lust, or my flesh speaking. This is scripture. This is the word of God, Jesus, Marian, five versions. Modern Western society versus Middle Eastern society. Jesus was a Middle Eastern man of Middle Eastern thinking, and he is a Middle Eastern God who is God of all the earth, of every nation, of every language. We have to come out of our narrow-minded Western, American, British, Catholic culture. Come out of her, my people, and be delivered of your legalism bondage that has been passed down through modern, non-Middle Eastern society. We are residents of the Middle East if you are a true Christian. And you have the spirit and the soul of a Middle Eastern God inside you. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, we're going to think and become more and more and more Middle Eastern thinking and act more Middle Eastern. Amen. I know that some of this is hard to swallow because of the brainwashing that we have been under all of our lives, that we must allow Scripture to change our thinking. Amen. If we stay the same, then we have not changed. We must be changeable and continue to change and continue to change and continue to change and continue to change. And if we ever stop changing, ever stop changing, then we will, our, our growth will be stunted. Amen. We will grow up to a mature woman Amen. We will grow up to a mature bride of Christ. Thank you for listening. I will remind you that we have begun the countdown toward Pentecost. Amen. We're counting 50 days down to Pentecost, which will be in June. June the 9th on a Sunday will be Pentecost. We'll have special worship services on June 9th. Worship services two days in a row that weekend, Saturday and Sunday. 
That June 9th will be a holy day of no work, so you need to let your employers know a month before that that you'll need, you will need and require that day off from work. But we began to count down on the day after the weekly seventh day within the Days of Unleavened Bread. So we look at the Days of Unleavened Bread, the 20th through the 26th. So the seventh day that within the Days of Unleavened Bread would be in the 20th. You count the seven, uh, you count the 60 days starting from April 21st. That would have been day number one. So now we're, today is day number seven out of the 50. Day is seven, uh, day number seven out of 50. So that's 43 more days. So let's count it. 43 more days to Pentecost. So Jesus was resurrected Saturday night at 3 a.m. in the morning, just before Sunday morning. He would have walked on earth 40 days. Today would have been the seventh day he walked on earth after the resurrection. He walked on earth 40 days after the resurrection. On the 40th day, he was resurrected, I mean, went back to heaven. Ten days later, he came back to earth in the form of his Holy Ghost and implanted the Holy Ghost within many more people on the day of Pentecost and saved 3,000 people on that day of Pentecost. We will probably be somewhere special that day rather than right here. We'll probably take a field trip, have worship services outside on that day at a special, special, special location. Note reservation for Pentecost, please. And you are invited, whether you're baptized or not. If you are uh, learning and growing and being obedient to God and want to come and fellowship with us on Pentecost, June the 9th, please come to East Tennessee, to the area of Greenville and Morristown area, region. For that weekend, get a motel. You can camp. You don't have to camp. You can get a motel, whatever you want to do. Come in an RV or a camper or a campground or tent or a motel for the weekend and come and worship with us two days in a straight, you know, two days in a row, Saturday and Sunday both. We can have worship services. We'll be here in the ministry building on that Saturday and then at a special location that Sunday. Coming up, count the days. The world, they count the days to Christmas. They do. Count the days to Christmas. We should count the days to Pentecost. So we'll talk more about Pentecost before then and prepare people and teach Pentecost more as we get closer. And so... uh, 
I'll be sending an email soon to the baptized members of the congregation. I am really appreciative of Brother Robert that he has come here and is helping me tremendously, really, really, really helping me. And I sure did need the help. And I sure am going to miss him when he gets his own apartment. I know he'll come visit me sometimes, but I miss you already. But you'll be here for worship services. But uh, my wife, Brittany, is getting better and better now, really improving with uh, after she had the knee surgery. She's really improving now. She's most of the time off from the walker now. She'll need help of walking with a cane, sometimes the walker, but she's mostly off from the walker now. Physical therapy is uh, continuing to progress. She is improving, although she's still struggling and in a lot of pain. So we, we do continue to ask for your prayers for her total and complete healing over time in therapy. We're not, not asking for a miracle. We believe, we know, we recognize the need for continued physical therapy and overcoming, with God's help, of our own efforts, being a mature person, able to ride a bicycle without training wheels. Uh, we appreciate your prayers for God's help. And also the prayers for this ministry in general. We do have a goal of establishing a congregation in South Africa and another one in the Philippines and in Australia and in South Korea and perhaps Zimbabwe and perhaps Nigeria before April of next year. So about 11 months that we're going to have established these congregations, God willing and with God's help. Please be in prayer for this and how God can lead you in the involvement of establishing such congregations. Let's go in prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done today. Thank you, Father, that even though it may be a challenge for some of us, and many things we have been taught wrong and brainwashed about, that we shall overcome with your help. Thank you for pointing us in the correct direction. Thank you for the clarity of Scripture that we cannot deny. Thank you for deliverance from legalism. Please help us, Lord, to think with your mind, to see with your eyes, hear with your ears, to not form or keep our own opinions, but to embrace your mind, the truth, your will, reality. Help us to escape modern Western programming. 
to think with your mind. Father, we ask for this, your mind, your soul, your spirit in us, that we may feel and hear and listen to and know your voice better and better and better, Lord. Teach us your voice. Teach us your, your heart. Teach us how to see the way you see things. Help us to hear the way you would have us to hear and even speak as you would have us to speak. Give us your heart, your ways, Lord, not our ways, but your ways. Your ways, Father, your ways. We will be your people. And where you go, we will go. And where you lead us, we will go. Send us and use us as your will and not our own. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Praise Jesus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.